This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property in a short half hour show and it's lovely to have your company today here on Manawatu People's Radio and alternatively on the podcast if that's your preferred method of listening. So welcome along. In this show we've got a a range of news, quite a lot about the housing market and then a couple of incredible landlord stories as well that we're going to pop in there as well. I'd like to start with the market though and this article from interest.co.nz says that the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand figures show the buoyant housing market doesn't necessarily mean higher prices. What they've done is they've looked at uh, various areas in the country to see how the monthly selling prices of residential properties in each region since the beginning of the year correlate to the rating valuations and there are really some surprising regional variations. So prices were strongest in Gisborne where they, on average the selling prices were 70% higher than their corresponding rating valuations followed by Southland that were 43% higher, Hawke's Bay and Marlborough prices 27% higher. Manawatu just for those of you who are local uh, here in Palmas North, in the Manawatu, 24% higher than rating value. So if your rating value was 400000 they're selling for about 500000 in this region. So two of the country's biggest real estate markets, Auckland and Canterbury, had the lowest premiums over their rating values. In Auckland, July's selling prices were on average only 5% higher than the rating values, and Canterbury just 6% higher. Also, Auckland and Canterbury were the only regions where selling prices averaged less than a 10% premium on the corresponding rating valuations. So throughout the entire country, seven regions had selling prices which were between 10 and 20% above and seven more than 20% above. So let's have a look at some of this. Uh, with regards maybe something a little bit more local, as, as mentioned, um, Manawatu, Wanganui, around about 24% higher. Than, than rating value, and that's uh, something which it's been sitting at that now for probably about six months. So uh, interesting there as well. They've also looked at in the three months to the end of August 2020 what the average uh, value is from the house price index. So the likes of Auckland, for example, where it's just over a million dollars, Whangarei, uh, 580, Wanganui, 370. And that's gone up 25%. Palmerston North, 521, which is up 14.5%. Even Wellington at 788,000 is up 10.5%. So big changes there on that rolling three-month average. That leads us to the next article, which was on stuff.co.nz. Slim pickings for New Zealand house buyers as available properties dry up. So this article, which is a national article, says that house buyers hoping to benefit from low mortgage rates have very little to choose from while the lowest stock available in New Zealand in 13 years. So recently, realestate.co.nz said the total homes available for sales was down 13.2% on a year ago. 
at just under 18,000 listings, which was significantly lower than in July. So that's uh, the August data there. And that compared to 54,000 homes on the market in August 2008. So that's around about a a third uh, as many. So that's quite incredible. So continuing on a slide that began last year, the article says Taranaki had the biggest decline with just 284 properties available in August, down 47.9% on a year earlier. So the the demand here, according to realestate.co.nz General Manager of Marketing, uh, Vanessa Taylor, she says our national housing shortage is not getting better and with all-time stock lows in nearly half of our regions, buyers across the country had less choice than ever last month. Now I was out and about, it was a sunny day yesterday, I decided to go to an open home in Milson here in Palmerston North. Uh, the property itself was priced at buyers over 565, a three-bedroom property. I went along to that, and by the time I had signed, which was five minutes into the open home, there were at least 20 other groups that had signed in, and I'd say there was probably 40 groups that went through that open home. I came walking out of the open home with my son, and he says to me, Dad, I wouldn't even bother making an offer. Someone else is going to get it. And that's sort of a case of uh, the market in the regions at the moment. And nine of the 19 regions have hit 13-year record stock lows. We are one of them here in Palmerston North. So the uh, difficulty is that Taylor says that we have a very archaic building model here in New Zealand. She says that the majority of homes in New Zealand are built by people who are building between four and six homes a year. And so that's purely not a sustainable model with the rate of growth our population is seeing. Part of the challenge, she says, is once the GFC, the global financial crisis, hit, we stopped construction quite considerably for about 18 months to two years, and that meant we never really caught up. One solution was modular kit-set homes built in a factory, she said. We absolutely know in New Zealand, we absolutely in New Zealand need to look here at using technology materials that are out there now, and perhaps some of our counterparts in other parts of the world have been using for a good decade or so. Another area for the, another uh, situation in terms of the prices, for those of you who are slightly further afield, the Central North Island average asking price has just broken through $600,000 for the first time. That covers areas like Taumaranui, Oakuni, Turangi, Kinloch and Taupo, most searched regions uh, within that. So interesting. And this uh, also CoreLogic, um, who is one of the property uh, measurers have also noticed this dip dip in values uh, that have come along. Um, however, really it's just a, a, a in some areas in particular, and let's face it, uh, some of those are looking quite bleak, like Queenstown, for example, where property values were down 7.4% over three months. And an article from Wellington, from uh, stuff.co.nz, and uh, the Dominion talks again about the slim pickings. And, and, and in Wellington it says, slim pickings for house hunters unless you don't mind living above a slip. Well, you wouldn't get me living above a slip, but each to their own. It says you can still get a house buying bargain so long as you have cash up front and are willing to swallow a worrying pill. But for all others, it goes on to say that asking prices are up more than 20% and the stock is down to its lowest rate there as well in 13 years. They give an example, as, as I mentioned in my own personal experience, uh, but this is another example of, of an open home uh, held by Tommy's agent, Duncan Povey, in Woburn Lower Hut, saw 60 groups through in 45 minutes. And at the end, a house with a 1.04 million rating value 
uh, for which realtors were asking for inquiries of more than one and a half million, and it sold for one point seven million. So it's really hard going out there buying. We all know that lots of competition. And so, what happens when you do buy a home? This article from CoreLogic says that paying the mortgage takes nearly a third of household income. So New Zealand households are putting 32% of their income on average on the mortgage and that's actually the lowest rate since 2013 and less than what Australians pay, CoreLogic says. However, it is harder to save for a deposit here and house prices are still very high compared to what Kiwis earn. The percentage of average gross household income put towards paying the mortgage fell for the three months ending June down from 33% in the first quarter. It was significantly lower than before the global financial crisis when it peaked at 49% in 2007. So I think that's just partly that the uh, that the rates, mortgage rates have come right down. Wages have gone up, but that's uh, not a lot, not to the same extent as which uh, mortgage rates have come down, you could, you could uh, quite rightly argue. Shuffling all the papers around here in the office. Um, here's another one from Wellington. The story here I thought was interesting. It's from the spinoff.co.nz. There is a bit of, uh, hard to tell if it's an opinion piece or, or not, but it says that keeping Wellington's character means keeping people in cold and mouldy homes. It's an interesting uh, headline that caught my attention. It says that Wellington will be home to up to 80,000 more people by 2050, and the question of where they're going to live is becoming increasingly pressing. Should the look of the central suburbs really take priority over warm, dry and affordable housing? So to say there's animosity towards Wellington's housing stock among young people, uh, like the writer of this article, uh, would be a misunderstatement. Median weekly rents have exploded, cracking $600 a week in January this year. And since December of 2014, rental prices have increased a whopping 47% while wages have barely budged. Now, New Zealand is one of the few developed countries to suffer rheumatic fever, a disease linked to substandard housing, and each winter 25 to 30,000 children are hospitalised with preventable illnesses linked to damp homes. Now, this is just the uh, the article from Spinoff. I don't know if that is correct, but one would think, one would hope that their information is correct there. So it's not something that should be happening anywhere, much less in a country that claims to give everyone a fair go. So the Wellington City Council is currently consulting on the Our City Tomorrow, a draft spatial plan which aims to deal with tens of thousands of people likely to move to Wellington over the next 30 years. The plan would deregulate some housing construction, allow new, warm, dry, affordable homes to be built. And by allowing higher residential density and reducing planning restrictions, we can fit more people on less land and speed up construction. Uh, the example the writer says is the apartment building fits 70 people on the size of a lot that would usually support just a single home and for a cheaper price. So so they're looking at, um, I guess, trying to find a, a middle ground between keeping the measure, uh, keeping the, I guess, the feel of, uh, of the Wellington's character while also trying to find the need for, for more housing. And so it's, it's tough because many of those uh, older properties are – um, somewhat damp and also somewhat expensive. So really it's it's hard to know. Uh, and he goes on in the opinion piece to say how things are certainly cold in a lot of those housing. Now just by way of reminder, there is tenancy laws in place that are under healthy homes that are addressing some of that. In other news, Paula Bennett, former National Party cabinet member, uh, 
she's starting a career in real estate at Bailey's, this article here. She's one of a few. I read another one today as well, um, a lady that used to be on Shortland Street. Her name's uh, just gone out of my mind. Angela Bloomfield, I think, uh, has just popped back into my mind. Angela Bloomfield. Celebrities, uh, a number of celebrities go into real estate. And one would have to wonder, does their celebrity status help them to list houses and to be successful? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, remember Paula Bennett was the former National Party deputy leader. Um, now she's going into a career in terms of commercial real estate when her time as an MP comes to an end in October. So she's currently the MP for Upper Harbour, but she did announce in June she's not standing in the general election. Even back in 2019, she said she had no intention to seek re-election for her seat because she wanted to focus on her then-new role as National's campaign chair. But she lost that role after National Party leadership takeover in May when Todd Muller took the leadership from Simon Bridges and Auckland Central MP Nikki Kay replaced Bennett as the deputy leader. So she's been 15 years in Parliament, will come to end this year's election, and so she believes that she'll be able to bring a lot of skills to her new role uh, which will be at Bailey's Real Estate as the Director of Strategic Advisory in its commercial division. She says, it's all about people. I'm going into commercial where it's about relationships, it's about listening, it's about talking, it's about seeing ahead, she said. What's commercial property going to look like after COVID and people wanting smaller premises or different and reconfiguring how they go to work, what work looks like? I'm pretty excited to be a part of that. Her role will involve working with bigger projects and looking at overseas companies who want to come to New Zealand, she said. They're going to bring jobs, they're going to need somewhere to put those jobs and put people in so I can help bring those deals together, work across government, work across local, work across corporate and pull it all together, I hope. So that's, uh, we'll see how that, how that goes there. We'll, keep, we'll watch that space later this year. Now here's another indication of what the market's like at the moment. This is something which I found really quite interesting. Uh, and the, this was in Stuff, an article by Colleen Hawkes, says that no viewings but New Plymouth House sold sight unseen with 17 offers. So it didn't seem to matter that nobody could see through this New Plymouth House after it was listed on a mor- as a mortgagee sale, but people were queuing up to buy it sight unseen. And there are photos of the property on Stuff. Listing agent Daryl Patterson of Tall Poppy Real Estate, who has not seen inside the house himself, confirmed there were 17 offers on the house. It sold in a deadline sale for well above its $410,000 rating value. It was difficult managing buyers' expectations about viewing it when they called, Patterson said, but the irony was if they could have viewed it, there might have been only a few offers. Patterson said the number of interested parties is a reflection of what's happening in the real estate market in provincial New Zealand with high interest and competition. So the listing on this made it quite clear. The property is a mortgagee sale and is being sold as is, where is. What does that mean? It means there'll be no open homes, no internal access, no viewing times. Interior photos of the dwelling are not available. You're welcome to have a look, the ad said, from the street or drive by for a street peek. So all that people knew was that it was a brick home of 170 square metre floor area on a freehold 731 square metre section. It was built in the 1920s. Uh, It's a two-bedroom home and that is really all that was known. So it's a bit of a mystery. So... Quite incredibly, 17 offers and that property sold. Would you buy a property site unseen? 
17 people were prepared to do so. So that's quite a hard case situation really uh, with regards to that. So we'll come back uh, after the break. Just have a little bit of music here. Um, This is Amy Winehouse with Valerie. Well, sometimes I go out buzzing and I look across the water and I think of all the things and in my head I paint a picture Since I come home Well my body's been a mess And I miss your gender hip And the way you like the daggers Won't you come on over Stop making a fool out of me Thank you. 
And that was Amy Winehouse with Valerie. You're here listening to Property Matters on Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irarangi o nga tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. Lovely to have your company, whether you're listening to this live or delayed or via podcast. It's great to have you here. We were talking before the break mainly about uh, the real estate sales market and so forth. We're now going to change a little to go towards a section I like to call New Zealand's Worst Landlords. And these are articles all from the last week, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars being paid out to tenants in compensation uh, and so forth due to landlords being bad landlords. And what constitutes a bad landlord? Someone who probably doesn't know what they're doing, tries to do it themselves or tries to rot the system. This first article from the New Zealand Herald Wellington toilet, <laughs> Wellington toilet, sorry, no, it's not that. Let's read that again. Wellington tenants forced to spend months without a functioning toilet. So there was a toilet in the headline there somewhere. Wellington tenants forced to spend months without a functioning toilet. So Wellington tenants who were in this situation, who spent months unable to use their toilet without afterwards battling leaks and pipe blockages, have won a $1,420 payout. Tina Val and Matthew and Helena Purcell told a recent tenancy tribunal hearing of their bathroom problems started from the outset of their tenancy in the suburb of Kilburnie last year. So this included using the toilet on the July the 2nd, 2019, only to discover afterwards it had become blocked. A plumber was called and two days later advised the landlord the pipes were blocked. Upon further analysis, however, the plumber revised their diagnosis and pointed the finger of the blame at the toilet itself. This led to a new toilet being put in place three days later. However, it didn't bring the tenants relief as they said the new toilet also blocked after use. The tenants had by now taken the extreme step of not putting toilet paper down the toilet but disposing of that in the rubbish bin, Tribunal Adjudicator Kate Lash said. Their evidence was that this was the situation until the end of the tenancy in January 31st, 2020. The new toilet also sprung a second problem as the tenants noticed a leak at the base of it, which they reported to the landlord the next month on August the 14th. So quite incredible there, um, but it just shows to, or goes to show that you really need to be following up, making sure that you do fix these problems properly, because that landlord now has a $1,400 fine, plus still has to do the repairs. So here's another one from Stuff Business. Tenant wins $2,500 payout for extreme numbers of cockroaches and flood damage. So an Auckland woman has been awarded nearly $2,500, $2,500, after having to deal with extreme numbers of cockroaches and an extensive water leak that made floors unsafe. So Melanie Griffith discovered the cockroach infestation after moving into the Mangere East property in February. She raised the issue with her landlord, the AB Shahib Family Trust, but the trust did not do anything about it. Griffiths had to call on pest control herself and paid $184 to get rid of the roaches, Tenancy Tribunal noted. She also claimed her landlord promised to repair water leaks in the kitchen, bathroom and laundry, but never did. Water had been leaking to the extent the kitchen bench was rotten and could not be used safely. In the bathroom and laundry, leaking water had made the floors soft and unsafe. The adjudicator, Hannah Cheeseman, described the water damage as extensive after seeing photographs and hearing from Griffith. A flood reportedly occurred in the house during the nationwide coronavirus lockdown in April, but Cheeseman said the water damage began before Griffith moved in and it continued throughout her tenancy. The tribunal noted that the landlord indicated to Griffith his finances were tight. However, Cheeseman concluded the landlord simply had not addressed the maintenance issues Griffith raised and Griffith did not have full use of the property as a result. 
So Cheeseman detailed how the landlord had served Griffith with a 42-day notice to leave the property as he intended to sell it, uh, which is actually something that's not legal anyway. But he also said that if she missed a rent payment, she would have to leave in 21 days, also not legal. Cheeseman felt it was likely the landlord did not understand or ignored his obligations under the Residential Tenancies Act. The, the A.B. Sahib Family Trust also failed to lodge Griffith's bond, which is an unlawful act if not done within 23 days of it being received. No explanation for the failure to lodge the bond has been received, Cheeseman said. Griffith was awarded a total of just under $2,500 in damages and compensation. So it just shows you need to be doing things properly if you're a landlord. And finally, Northland Emergency Housing Trust harassed a tenant but won't stop helping the homeless. So a Northland Emergency Housing Provider has been left with a black mark and a large bill after being found to have harassed a tenant. The Hekorawai Trust was ordered by the Tenancy Tribunal to pay the tenant Simone Benuoni $1,000 for harassment, including attempting to end her tenancy during the coronavirus lockdown and then threatening to forcibly remove her. Chief Executive Ricky Houghton said the incident was a learning exercise and the trust will now use a real estate agent to manage its tenancies, thank goodness, because even the best well-meaning landlords can get themselves into quite a bit of trouble, as you can hear in these articles. The tenant said she could no longer live at Heikoroi because the stress and harassment was causing her autistic son to have seizures, said the trust needs to be more professional and treat people with respect. The trust rents renovated, form, furnished former state houses on its kaitaia, papakainga, charging $275 a week rent, some groceries and social support. After three years, Farnell can rent to buy, Houghton said. So the what did the Tenancy Tribunal have to say? Hekorawai uh, could have tried to end the tenancy on the grounds of antisocial behaviour, but adjudicator Nicholas Blake found it had no legal power to terminate by notice during lockdown. Hikurawai Trust, as landlord, ought to have been aware of limitations on termination that were in effect at the time. You might recall that uh, the government stepped in and made sure that people weren't um, getting notice during that time. Benioni suffered emotional distress from confrontational and intimidating behaviour, Blake found. She described the confrontation as a home invasion with Houghton and the property manager, Angela Herbert, turning up with a truck for her possessions, yelling and cussing. I held the lock with my hands and they had a key and they were trying to turn it, she said. Blake found the actions breached Benoni's right of peace, comfort and privacy and awarded exemplary damages of $1,000. So you've just got to be so careful with what you do. Now there are two sides to every story. Houghton said that up to $3,500 worth of damage was done to the house and its furniture. So therefore the tribunal has left the door open for Hikorawai to pursue costs for damage. Um, and Houghton said the trust is unlikely to go to the Tennessee Tribunal again and more common sense is needed. So therefore, uh, it just shows you those, those are some, I guess, uh, warnings for people out there who are uh, doing their own own um, property management there. There are so many pitfalls now that can end up with fines, whether it's from not doing your paperwork properly, failing to declare things, not lodging the bond, not giving correct notice, etc., uh, etc. Et so that's something um, that there are avenues to get advice there through tenancyservices.co.nz or ringing your local uh, property manager provided they have a high level of knowledge and expertise that can help you with some advice. So that's all we've got today from Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. It's been lovely having your company here, uh, recorded in Palmerston North, Manawatu, in beautiful New Zealand. We look forward to catching up with you next week. Have a great week in property.
you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.